Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity Transform life leads to transform communities, and transform communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back, guys. We are now at our third part of the path and the pattern. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to Life to the Full podcast with the Zitos. We are in a new season this summer, which is increasing our vulnerability. And so we are starting with a new series based on trust. Jimmy has opened up with two summer reading books. I hope by now you guys have that book. It's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick. What's his last name, honey? Uh, Patrick Lencioni. Yes. And then my girl, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. That's the book, guys. That's the book. It was a huge game changer and paradigm for me, uh, for sure. So Jimmy has uh, opened up with The Five Dysfunctions of a Team in episode 10. Then he talked about the Upside Down Triangle and episode 11, where we landed on trust. Uh, episode 12, which is last week, we went on the path. And today, babe, episode 13, what's cooking? We are going to be looking at what I'm calling the pattern. Okay. So, you know, this is the path and the pattern. We've gone through the path that we believe is the way to get from uh, dysfunctional teams to functional teams mm-hmm. or to unhealthy groups of people to healthy group of people. Yep. It's a path that anyone can walk uh, almost wherever your group is, whatever kind of crazy stuff you have going on in your ministry or your church. Um, I think sometimes people could miss... Uh, the need of why it's so important to walk this path. They can feel like everything is good. Um, what has been some examples um, from you as a leader where you were in the same kind of mind frame or thinking? Sure. Well, I can remember being uh, like a newer leader, right? Having a group of people and being like, okay, I need to prepare some Bible talks. I need to prepare some messages. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of start by thinking, okay, what are some things in the group that bother me? Mm. What are some character issues that Mm. other people have that I'm going to try and help them now by studying out a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible? And then we're going to build our Bible talks, our sermon series, our messages, our devotionals around that. And that's it's what you said in episode 12, that's really backwards, that's being result-oriented. Yeah, that's being result-oriented. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the problem there is that you can 
is that, you know, you can think of how else am I supposed to look at things? You know, like, isn't that my job to help people get better, to help my ministry be better? So, like, don't I need to dive in and help people with that? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, we end up shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, as leaders, because we're trying to, you know, as they say, put the horse before the cart, right? The horse should be driving the cart. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, we're putting results first, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we're we're trying to get results to be the driving force behind our ministries, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Versus, you know, taking a few steps back and just thinking about our groups as a whole. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the problem with what we're going to be talking about today is in the pattern, right, is that you really can't scripture and verse this thing that I'm calling the pattern. Right, you can't turn to the Bible and go as it says, mm-hmm. and Second Corinthians, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and find all this stuff. Yeah, doesn't mean it's not there in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It means you have to kind of understand the entire Bible to understand this whole pattern. The overarching. So, yeah, another way of putting it, story. I think the Bible talk, the Bible talk, the Bible project mm-hmm. loves putting it this way: the overarching narrative. Yes of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's some great books out there, the Pentateuch as narrative, um, any of the Bible talks, free classes or their podcasts, they kind of always hit the same type of pattern mm-hmm. because really it's like, there's an overarching narrative. There's an yeah. overarching story, yeah. right? Uh, the Bible kind of begins in the beginning, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of ends with that. They, and they lived happily ever after, <laughs> right? With the coming down of, of, God and Jesus and the new heaven and earth and us reigning forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of getting us ahead of ourselves here. So when you understand the pattern mm-hmm. and you understand the story that Jesus is telling, right, and that the authors of the Bible are telling, you kind of see a new pattern kind of emerging. And this pattern should really be the center of how we really construct Christianity. I think... Unfortunately, as we've seen in our, in our POV episodes with kind of the history of the church, mm-hmm. I think a lot of churches fracture over what the Bible says. Yeah. You know, they have, I think every tradition, every denomination has its own, you know, scripture and verses that they like to camp out on. But we do tend to conveniently ignore the rest, the rest mm-hmm. of the scriptures uh, that kind of even surround their favorite like proof texts. Like, let me pull this scripture out. And I don't think people are necessarily pulling things out of context, like deliberately. I think like we can end up couching uh, our scripture readings in the context of our own tradition. Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, we grew up in a disciple making culture, mm-hmm. you know, where we're, you know, baptism based, uh, disciple making based, um, we come from a Western society. Western society is very heavily, heavily influenced by the Greeks and the Romans, their philosophy, their ways of looking at things. The Stoic philosophers in particular, you know, people even throw around terms like modernism, postmodernism. You know, we don't even realize that we've couched some of our readings of the scripture in these uh, worldviews, right? And we miss a lot of times the big story of the Bible and how that's going to affect what we're doing uh, today. And really, it really should be influencing uh, 
how we conduct our lives, how we run our churches, how we run our ministries. Sounds good. Let's talk about the pattern. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think it's easier. I think it's easier in some sense to be like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, I don't think people think of, okay, I'm going to figure out how to run my life by listening to a story. I don't think that's the way people are normally wired. It's kind of like, well, let me read my Bible. Well, people here in in, in the United States of America are not wired that way. But sure. Many, many tribes, that's 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 at the center of their culture mm-hmm. storytelling right passing down from generations to generations is actually very big yeah outside of the united states i think so too and i think the stories that tend to last are the ones mm-hmm. uh that you know there's a story there's something there to hold on to it's not mm-hmm. like you know like just yeah. do a b and c and then everything will be great yeah and as humans i we are drawn to story anyway. Storytelling is powerful. Storytelling, it's marketing. Well, I'm mm-hmm. learning that. You know, I, I've had a lot of like, I'm still in that journey of how do I communicate my message? And and I'm finally, that is, I'm finding that it's much easier to share my story, to share the journey, to share where I'm at. And that's where vulnerability in this book has been huge for me because part of being vulnerable is telling your story and your story is still I'm currently in my story mm-hmm. I'm currently in the journey and part of the storytelling is sharing what what's happening now yeah so I'm excited and you got this uh, the pattern or these um, how many five patterns based on anti right correct yeah so many scholars have done this before they've mm-hmm. basically tried to break up the Bible into its major themes or sections. Mm-hmm. So this isn't the only way mm-hmm. of looking at the scripture. I currently find this to be the most helpful. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if this is N.T. Wright, like this is what he came up on his own, mm-hmm. or if he's tapping into like a, a bigger tradition, but mm-hmm. I definitely came into contact with this first from N.T. Wright. All right. So what are those five? So he, talked, he imagines that we are in a five-act play. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so... And the five-act play is the is what he terms his five-structure part of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So you imagine you're coming, you're sitting down for a play, right? The first act is creation. Mm-hmm. The second act is the fall. The third act is Israel. Mm-hmm. The fourth act is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the fifth act is the church. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're currently living in the fifth act. Um, and it's like it, we're kind of writing the act as we go. It's... Basically, he's imagining, imagine that there was an old dusty library, right? And you found a play mm-hmm. written by some famous author mm-hmm. sitting on a shelf. Mm-hmm. was by some famous playwright. You were super excited. This is the greatest play that anyone's ever written. Mm-hmm. There's only one problem. The fifth act is missing, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so acts one through four mm-hmm. are there and yeah. you have them. You can look at them. But the fifth act, it's, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. From everything else you have, you can kind of piece together sort of the way this ends. Mm-hmm. You have general ideas mm-hmm. of, of how this is going to play out, how it's going to end. Yeah. But the fifth act is basically gone. So you have to kind of figure out what this fifth act is supposed to be. It's awesome. Right? Mm-hmm. And you, you can do that in many ways. You can kind of just be like, well, I think... This is the way it should end. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you could write the story. You could ask your friends, hey guys, how do you think this should end? Or you could go back and diligently study out the first four acts and figure out from that, okay, this is how we're going to write our fifth act. And kind of in every age of the church uh, faces this same question. How are we going to write the act that we're currently living in? The fifth act or the age of the church, right? So we have creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and the church. So it's no coincidence that two of the acts take up basically 12, 13 chapters of the Bible. So the opening chapters of the Bible, there's there's just so much there, right? So act one is creation. Mm-hmm. Genesis basically one and two. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know if you can imagine constructing an entire act of a play out of two chapters of the Bible, but there's so much... Mm. In there. Remember when we read Genesis 1 together after yeah. an episode in the Bible Project? Sure, Just yeah. every word was blowing our minds. Yeah. And we were like, it was there the whole time! <laughs> I read this, I don't know how many times! Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Yes. So I think, Agreed. you know, I'm currently taking, um, the Bible Project has another free class that they just put out, which is basically on, you know, Genesis 1 to like 12. Mm. It's the first. It's called Heaven and Earth. Yes. Right. Uh, but yeah. So Act One, Creation, Genesis one to two. There's so much in there. Um, so basically, the key to this one is just you know understanding that this is where God reveals His desire mm. for people mm-hmm. and provides the setting for all the action that follows. Yeah. So you know God does a lot of separating light from darkness. He does a lot of separating of the waters above from the waters below and. In these empty spaces, he fills them with things. He fills them with life. He eventually fills them with human beings. Mm-hmm. And then he plants them in a garden. Yeah. Right? He plants them in a garden in Eden. You know, and a lot of people miss this this really crucial point is that Eden wasn't everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay? The world was not perfect. Mm-hmm. The world was not Eden. Mm-hmm. Earth was not Eden. Mm-hmm. Right? There mm-hmm. were still places... On Earth, the majority of Earth was still wild. Was it still needed human beings to get in there and tend it and tame it? Right. We were Plantation. planted in a garden, right, to till the garden, yep. to work the garden, yep. right. So we were we were made for work, mm-hmm. right. There was and no harvest. There was no sitting on a beach watching Dancing with the Stars or <laughs> you know just just not doing anything. We were you know, and honestly, I find like. When I've gotten to points in my life where I, I could have stopped working for a little bit, it almost like hurts my soul. Like too much rest. I'm like, you know, you think that's what you want. You think you want to be able to just be home and just do whatever you want. And it's like it almost just kills you. Kills my soul. Kills my spirit. We were made for work. You're better at it than I, I am. Oh, relaxing? You certainly can relax. I, I can. <laughs> I can relax like a champ. So just thinking about that, thinking about, you know, that God had a purpose for us, right? You know, like uh, he, there was a partnership. There was an implied that Eden would spread throughout the whole earth. Mm -hmm. We would be ruling and reigning with God, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, go subdue the earth and multiply. Um, All that lovely stuff says Genesis 1 to 2, and that's creation. Mm -hmm. That's act one. 
Act 2 is the fall, or Genesis 3 to 11. And this basically introduces the struggle that dominates the rest of the story. Okay, so that's just like any good, any good story, right? First, in Act 1, you're getting to know all the characters, right? You get to know God, man, woman, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. right? And Act 2 kind of introduces the the twist or the conflict, right? Yeah. Is the fall. As in many movies and yep. great books. This introduces the key struggle that dominates the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the initial fall, right? You have the serpent who deceived Eve, mm-hmm. right? And then they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. So they, they eat from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. The knowledge of good and evil. And that kind of, you know, introduces the problem. Right? This isn't this isn't gonna work. God made men and women, humanity, in his own image, right? To be in a partnership, to rule and reign the earth, mm-hmm. and things go horribly wrong very, very quickly. Yeah. And Genesis three to eleven kind of shows how it gets progressively worse and worse right right after they get expelled from the garden right they have Cain and Abel there's the first murder right and then we have Seth we have the line of Seth we go all the way up to Noah at this point there's the city of blood right there's Babylon and Nimrod and things just seem to get worse and worse Uh, there's the flood right that kind of covers the whole earth there's a tower of Babel. Um, so it kind of shows how things get worse and worse and worse. And God kind of has to start all over. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, so that's that's the fall. That's act two. And then we have act tres. <laughs> yep. Or for those of you who do not speak Spanish, act three. And that is just called Israel. So everything from the establishment of Israel as a nation until its exile into Babylon um, is in Act 3. So Act 3 is a long act. (laughs) I don't know if this is what you'd want to sit through uh, during an actual play. Uh, The key here is that this era ends tragically, right, with God apparently absent, yet the hope of promise still Remains. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Joseph. Israel descends into Egypt, right? They end up being slaves for 400 years. And then in Egypt, you know, God hears their cry after 400 years. Then you have Moses, right? Moses leads them out of Egypt mm-hmm. into the Exodus, right? And then to Mount, the foot of Mount Sinai, where mm-hmm. they become a people of God. Right. There's like this whole big marriage ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, Israel just can't get their act together. <laughs> they keep kind of messing up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, God's kind of like, here are the basic tenets of our relationship. And it, they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't do it. This is supposed to be, you know, God's way of bringing the world back together. Right. You know, he couldn't do it through the, the flood. He couldn't do it through scattering the languages. Um, the world's a mess, and God is kind of zeroing in on one group of people, one family. Through them, he wants to bring the world back together. 
right? And it just it just doesn't go well. Um, the people of Israel at Sinai they just don't really seem equipped just to follow basic basic tenets of a covenant relationship. They can't stop. Um, so you have the wandering the wilderness. You have the conquest of Canaan. Uh, this is all in Act Three. Um, you have the time of the judges, where Israel had no king and everyone kind of did as they saw fit. Then you had the time of the monarchy. Saul, right, was the first king of Israel, uh, followed by David. And then after David, we had Solomon. And after Solomon, we had the splitting of the kingdom into north and south, right? Uh, and from there, you had a, two lines of kings, one in the north, one in the south. The north really had no kings that were good. Uh, the South had some, right, that were that were good kings. Um, and then from there, there was the end of the monarchy. First the North went into the exile, and then the South. And then there was really no more nation of Israel, and because Israel was exiled in Babylon. And then eventually, you know, there's like a beautiful scene in, in the prophets where, um, the you know, the southern kingdom is getting, is about to get thrown into exile. And the prophet sees the Godmobile or the chariot mm-hmm. of God, right? Kind of like go up out of the temple and then leave and basically go in the direction of Babylon with the idea that God himself was going with them into exile, right? But then when they came back and the return of the exile, there was this idea that God had not come back yet with them. God left with them to the exile, but he, he's never come back. The temple just isn't the same, right? Mm-hmm. The presence of the Lord just doesn't seem to be with Israel anymore. They're still being occupied by these foreign powers, although they had these brief moments, which aren't really talked about in the Bible, where they did have their own kingdom, um, you know, the time of the Maccabees. Um, but yeah, so they're back in Israel. The people are back in the land, but God doesn't seem to have returned. And then we have Act 4. Which is Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus walks. Mm-hmm. The Gospels, right? And the key to understand this is four centuries later, Jesus' arrival is introduced with the claim that God is keeping his promise. God is returning in a very, very surprising way back to Israel, right? To announce freedom for captives, you know, all these great things. The Evangelion, the good news of the gospel, right, by actually returning God in flesh. God becoming king. God becoming king. Mm-hmm. Excellent book. Everyone should read it. Mm-hmm. So that's Act Four. Jesus returns. He fulfills Israel's story. It's like God Himself comes down, fulfills the promise mm-hmm. to Israel and to the nations, right? Mm-hmm. Through Israel to be a blessing to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. To bring the world back together, right? How he overcame evil. Mm, yep, how he overcame mm-hmm. evil. And that's Act 4. That's that's kind of like the climax. So if, if we were looking at this like a story, it's kind of building to Jesus, and Jesus is the climax, mm-hmm. the ultimate showdown, right, between the powers of darkness yeah. and God. And then it kind of like, there's the resolution, and the resolution is Act 5, is the church and the new humanity. Yes. Or, you know, this basically, so Act 4, we find in the Gospels. 
Uh, we find our fragments of Act 5, because remember now Act 5, we're missing most of it. Mm-hmm. Our fragments are in uh, the New Testament letters of Paul, Paul. Peter, John, and mm-hmm. Jude, right? And uh, the book of Revelation. Um, and whoever wrote Hebrews. But, you know, that is kind of what we have to go with Act 5. The key here is to understand that God wants the victory of Jesus to spread to all the nations of the world, yeah. right? So Jesus had a victory. Jesus fulfilled the story of Israel, uh, ultimate victory over the powers of darkness. Um, and there's Jesus, right? His people, his 12 apostles, his disciples waiting in Jerusalem. And that's, you know, kind of spreading out to the entire world. And here we are today. So that ends our Act 5. Okay, so we kind of understand that, you know, Jesus is coming back. There's going to be an ultimate victory. Because here's the, here's the funny thing, right? On the cross, at the resurrection, Jesus had his ultimate victory over the powers of darkness, right? That's kind of Jesus, you know, bringing the world back together. But if you look around, the world doesn't look... Right. It doesn't look right. Right. It still looks like it's being ruled by darkness. Mm-hmm. So in a strange way, it's like Jesus was almost like from the future. (laughs) He was coming from a future, right? The future resurrection. And he invaded the past to show us the end of the story. Mm -hmm. So even though we don't necessarily understand the resurrection, we don't understand, you know, like in some ways Jesus was unrecognizable to his friends. So he he still had a body, Mm -hmm. but people didn't necessarily always recognize it as Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it was Jesus, but changed somehow. He still had the wounds, right, in his hands and in his side. Um, but in, he had a body he was able to eat, right? But he also had a body that could suddenly appear in a room, a locked room. They made sure they tell, told us that it was a locked room. Jesus suddenly appeared. Jesus ate, right? Um, and then that body, you know, went back up to heaven. Um, and, you know, we're kind of here waiting for Jesus to return and kind of restore all things. But until then, here we are kind of what are we going to do with that? Right. What are we going to build our act five on to kind of move the story to its ultimate conclusion? the five act play um and i'm interested so what do we do with that and what does that have to do with the five dysfunctions of the team that we've been talking about so um obviously the book we're fans of Mm -hmm. um we're we're fans of kind of the way we've kind of adapted that to deal with churches and ministries Mm -hmm. right and small groups Mm -hmm. um and the whole point is is that it doesn't work because Patrick Leonsi is such a genius. <laughs> or it doesn't right. work because we're such geniuses to take what he did and apply it to specific church type situations right. and ministries and small groups. The reason it works is because it's tapping into something 
way bigger, way bigger than just what I like to call sometimes scripture versus Christianity. Yeah. Like, turn to here. This says this. You just need to do it. Yeah. You know, it's tapping into the DNA, the heart and soul, the lifeblood of the scriptures, right? This overarching story of the Bible is basically, this is what God did, right? Create. So if you take the path that we've been going over and the pattern that we just went over today, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I feel, I feel kind of bad too because I feel like the pattern, there's so much in there. There's so much to dive in. I have like three or four books here with me today, like, I feel like we could spend so much time diving into all that. But anyway, you take the path and the pattern and you kind of stitch them together and you can kind of see that they over overlap really, really nicely. Mm-hmm. Like creation mm-hmm. and trust, right? Love that. God exhibited an extraordinary amount of vulnerability in creation. In creating human beings, he created the potential to be harmed, for his heart to be literally torn apart. There is a divine order and purpose from the beginning, yet he endowed his creation with the ability to go horribly wrong, right? Seemingly like there's no way to fix this kind of wrong. Like there were like no like safety wheels there were no training wheels there were no like little floaties there was no uh god was not a helicopter parent right like he basically let it the potential was there for it to go tragically you know irreversibly wrong yeah and it and it basically did yeah the way i see it is it's just that freedom to choose yeah the will to choose that he has given us yeah i think I think the closest that anyone could possibly come to understanding this is being a parent. Hmm. I think like when you like when you become a parent, you basically take, you know, you make a mini version of yourself and your spouse, <laughs> right? It's you mix all that up in a blender. So hopefully there's some <laughs> there's some good there's some of your good qualities show up too. Yeah. And then you get to argue with that little miniature version of yourself. Until it grows up, and then you probably argue with it some more, mm-hmm. you know. And but you know, in God's situation, it was like everything. He created a universe. Mm-hmm. He created a planet. He created us. He created an entire world. And you know, like he had this dream, this big, amazing, beautiful dream, right? And you know, like in order to do that, he had to, you know, be willing to let it hurt him. You to know, let go, really. To let go. To, to be ultimately vulnerable. Because right? everyone's responsible for their own life. Yeah. And you can't have love without there being vulnerability. Right? Yeah. You, I mean, because you know. Because that would be like a robot. Yeah. And I kind of think of the difference between dogs and cats. Okay. Too. You know, I know you're not really a cat person. Mm-hmm. I consider myself both a dog person and a cat person. Mm-hmm. But a, most dogs don't really make you work for it. Mm-hmm. They're like... You came back. I love you so much. I love you so much. This is the best day of my life. Oh my goodness, we woke up. This is the best day of our lives. We're, we're going to play. Oh, we're going to nap all day and watch Netflix. <laughs> yes. Like dogs just like love you Yeah. no matter what. You know, cats kind of make you work for it. Yeah. You know, a cat is kind of more of like, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with this, but, uh, you know, I kind of think of it as, you know, 
if I was going to create a world, I don't think I would I would do that. I think I would want to create something that I could use, that I could have fun with, that I could that I could enjoy. But I think God dared so greatly that he created, you know, humanity in his own image. Male and female he created them. Uh, you know, to basically have the potential to reject him. Yeah. You know, to reject their God-given, you know, responsibility. Yeah. To be image bearers. Yeah. You know. So we keep talking about well, what's the other side of absence of trust, and that's vulnerability. And what does vulnerability mean? It means going first. Yeah, it means going first, and it's, God did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. I love it. Okay, so what's you know you had creation and trust as one. You know, um, I'd also like to say there too that you know with number two the fall mm-hmm. or conflict, right? Because mm-hmm. fall introduces conflict. That some people read the scriptures and they've concluded that God foreknew everything. Right. Like he knew what would happen. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of still on the fence. I'm not really sure, like, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Well, I'm reading um, The Unseen Realm that you yeah. recommended. Well, I'm not reading, well, I'm more listening because right. it's an audible. And the way he talked about, he talked about whole predestined... Uh, and what's the other word that he used? Uh, Election, maybe? No, in other words, saying that things could be pretense, like, but God does change his mind. There have yes. been people who have changed God's mind, yeah. you know? But that all comes back to the free um, choice, the free will that God gives us. Yeah. Because what good is it? But kind of like the scripture, where is that? Uh, what good is it for... Um, where is the scripture? I want to I wanna quote it. Let's start. Yeah, love for enemies. So Matthew 5, verse, starting verse 46. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous if you love those who love you what reward will you get are not even tax collectors doing that and if you greet only your brothers what are you doing more than others do you not do not even pagans do that be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect which now reading that also goes back to the point of view series when you talked about unity and talking about what good is it just for you to love your denomination what good is it for you just to love your fellowship what good is that what about the unity of all humankind but one of the things that i love about this new book i'm reading the unseen realm and the whole free will and the free choice that God has given us is that, you know, is it really being in love, being in love with someone, loving someone is putting yourself at risk, is going first, is being vulnerable. Because in a relationship, I mean, I don't remember who said I love you first. Most likely me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it takes that vulnerability to say, you know, I don't know if he actually feels the same way, but I'm here I go. 
I love you. Mm. Um, I might have told you I loved you when we were just friends because I was like, I just love you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's very vulnerable to say that. And so I I love that in, in the sense of what you're, how you're putting this whole with creation and trust and then going first. And then you're talking about um, with the fall in conflict, as you were saying, most people think that this is all predestined. This is how he set it up. And the thing is that, no, he, uh, oh man, what is that word? Predestined versus, ah, this is going to take this whole episode out. This whole (laughs) thing that I'm saying. Man, it was so good. It was so good because it grabbed my attention. Because this is not what we're talking about as Christians. You know, as Christians, we could become very robotic. We could become very much, the Bible says this, and then we we just, oh. Is it predestination versus election? No. Predestination versus free will. Divine. It's when he was saying that God does not need humans. Um, that God did not need, but he wanted to. Hmm. Uh, it's a whole free will so after a break here, we got to be honest, we had to stop this video because I needed to read this. And because this is an audible, we're actually going to play it. Okay, yeah. check this out. Despite the risk of evil, free will is a wonderful gift. Mm-hmm. God's decision was a loving one. Understanding that requires only a consideration of the two alternatives. One, not having life at all. And two, being a mindless robot capable only of obeying commands and responding to programming. Yep. If our decisions were all coerced, how authentic would those decisions actually be? Here's a key question. If love is coerced or programmed, is it really love? Is any such decision really a genuine decision at all? It isn't. For a decision to be real, it must be made against an alternative that could be chosen. We all know the difference between freedom and coercion. The IRS doesn't tell you that you may perhaps pay your taxes by April 15th. When you behave wrongly, where would the emotional healing of forgiveness be if the person you offended was merely programmed to say those words or coerced to say them? Free will is a gift, despite the risk. Mm, That is so beautiful. Free Mm -hmm. will is a gift. Yeah. Despise what? Despite the risk. Yes, the yeah. risk of being vulnerable, of going there, of putting yeah. yourself out there. And I really love if love is coerced or programmed, is it really love? Because mm-hmm. I struggle with that, you know, like Jesus going to the cross, just like God loving me, you know, and it's the power of our free will aka our responsibility to choose i mean this part blew my mind and i love that and i I do see that uh connection when you first started talking about you know what some people say about this conflict you know like it was predestined yeah god knew and it's like the choice that he gave us, that trust that he gave us. It's just so beautiful. And I love that question. And I actually forgot about the second question about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Just experiencing that. 
you know, being forgiven when you're like, I don't even know how you could forgive me for this. And then it's like grace is given to you. It mm. feels amazing. Yeah. It's sweet. It's mm-hmm. sweeter than honey. It's just amazing. Yeah. I did not want to paraphrase what he read. And this is, Jimmy will put in the show notes. Yep. This is The Unseen Realm by Michael Heisner. Heisner yes. Michael Heisner, he's a, he's a great scholar. Mm-hmm. I got connected with him uh, from the Bible Project. Yeah. Because they had done a series on spiritual beings mm-hmm. and what the Bible said about spiritual beings. And the way uh, I remember Tim saying it on his own podcast, he was like, he, he started noticing things, um, especially about around the way the word Elohim yes. was translated. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, I, I wonder if I'm the first person to notice this. <laughs> and then he did some research and he found, oh, I'm absolutely not. And he found, you know, Heisner's amazing work and they had him on the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, who? 15 years, right? About 15, 20 years. At the time he wrote the book, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of did a deep dive into his book, uh, The Unseen Realm, uh, it totally changed the way I read my Bible. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I kind of uh, touched base into his, um, he has a podcast called The Naked Bible, mm. which uh, I, I enjoyed. Um, I did not enjoy it as much as the book. Uh, but, you know, his podcast is also pretty good and you should check it out. Maybe uh, Maybe you'll like it. So, so we were in the second one, conflict. <laughs> yeah, conflict, you know. So there's there's conflict, you know. There's the fall. There's the the serpent who deceives Eve, right? And then she uh, gives to her husband. They kind of go against God's command. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was always going to be off limits. Mm-hmm. Or whether that was something that God was eventually going to let them partake of. Um, we'll say for a different day and a different stage. Uh, but, you know, like this kind of sets the, the story, the conflict of what's going to come of people, of humanity, deciding for itself what's good and what's wise and what's what's preferable, mm-hmm. right, versus what God says, mm-hmm. you know, like there's this lack of trust, mm-hmm. right, and God um, is, you know, the, the next chapters of Genesis is kind of like a story of God dealing with that, you know, the world is broken, mm-hmm. it gets scattered to the four winds, there is a earthly rebellion and signs of a heavenly rebellion as well. If you learn where to look, Heisner's book, The Unseen Realm, is great for that. Uh, there's a great king of Babylon, Nimrod, a name that literally means rebel. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a, we're a country of rebels. Mm-hmm. You know, Very here true. in the U.S. of A., uh, <laughs> I think we have a certain romanticism about the word rebel. Yeah, we like, do. We all want to be, yeah. I remember... Uh, we certainly want to be outlaws. Totally, yeah. <laughs> the, your first uh, digital SL, SLR camera is literally called Rebel. Yes. And when you read that, you were like, yes. Yeah. 
you know? So there does seem something in us Mm -hmm. that just wants us to just, oh, you want me to do that? I'm going to do the total opposite. Right? Yeah, the great king of Babylon, Nimrod, a a name that literally means rebel, the greatest of the 70 nations, right? You look into the table of nations from the Tower of Babel and uh, all that stuff. You can kind of see the world fracturing. Uh, You know, God could have started over. Mm -hmm. I think at one point he considered it. This is where, like, I understand the divine intelligence of God. I understand that God knowing all outcomes. Where sometimes I'm, like, a little on the fence of, like, whether he knew the entire story. Like, you know, because I do feel like even in the Old Testament, there's signs of God changing his mind. Right. You know, or deciding a different way. So, basically, you know, God is just so upset with the world with what's going on with it, all these cities of blood, right? All these outcries of, of injustice that he decides to start the world over with a man named Noah and his sons and their families. And he goes through and he destroys the entire world, right? And what I love about this is in Genesis 9. Yeah, in Genesis 8, sorry. Okay. So, you know, Noah comes out of the ark uh, after God spoke to Noah saying, come out of the ark together with your wife, your sons, and your son's wives. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds, animals, and everything that creeps on earth, and let them swarm on the earth and be fertile and increase on the earth. What verse is that? Um, that's verse 17 okay. in, verse, in uh, chapter 8. Okay. Right. So it's, it's kind of like a recreation, you know, God's mm. a, initial mandate to Adam and Eve, be fruitful mm-hmm. and multiply, subdue the earth. Uh, so Noah came out together with his sons, his wife and his son's wives, every animal, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that stirs on earth came out of the ark by families. That's kind of nice to think of. The animals having families, <laughs> you know. This is uh, the Jewish study Bible, too, which I highly recommend for any serious student just of the Bible. The, just the intro of the Bible is mind-blowing. <laughs> it is. If you get this Bible only for the essays that are written, like, before the major sections oh of the Bible, God. it's worth it. Oh, I love it. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. and Verse take, 20. Mm-hmm. Yep, in verse 20. And... Taking of every clean animal and of every clean bird, he offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasant, the pleasing odor, and the Lord said to himself, Never again will I doom the earth because of man, since the devisings of man's mind are evil from his youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every, every living being as I have done. And there's like a little poem. So long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So what I love about this is, you know, basically here's Noah. And if you can put yourself in Noah's shoes, Mm -hmm. imagining this. Or sandals. Or sandals or (laughs) bare feet or whatever he was wearing. I'm sure he wasn't wearing his Adidas. Right. But you never know. Or Pumas. Uh You never know. Um, yeah. 
And he comes out of the ark. God tells him to come out of the ark. Mm-hmm. I love that because I think I would have been, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, the like if you see something like that, right. right, whether or not you this actually happened, you know, or this is a literary device, God is basically, you know, letting the waters of creation reclaim the earth. It's like he's uncreating the universe. If you've been through a hurricane, yeah. that's like... Point one of yeah. Or if you've been through any type of natural disaster where you had shelter, you, mm-hmm. you don't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> At, right after that natural disaster. I remember typically. Hurricane Sandy. I was just like tucked under your arms. Yeah, it was and crazy. Holding you so tight. It was crazy. So scary. It was a crazy time. And they had appendicitis that I didn't know of. <laughs> So I had to have... Uh, and I think I was squeezing you too. I had to have like emergency <laughs> surgery during uh, Hurricane Sandy. But anyway, or Superstorm Sandy, whatever it was. I love that, you know, Noah comes out. He makes a sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm. You know, clues here that this was put together by people who were already aware of the Mosaic Law. Yeah. And who were already aware of temple worship portrays noah as making a sacrifice right right based on the whole clean and non yeah he takes clean clean animals and you know because there are more there weren't two by two of every animal group this is a great way to find out if people have actually read the bible you ask them how many (laughs) pairs of animals on most people like oh two two of each and like you obviously haven't read your old testament no two of every unclean animal male and female he brought into the ark and seven of every clean animal yeah. So that's a great way to be like, ha ha, this is probably why no one Only listens to me. Only you do that. Because I'm like, ha ha, you don't know the Bible, and I think it's going to help people yeah, change. Yeah, that doesn't help. And that usually makes people like, no, I know my Bible. And this is why we're doing the podcast, yes. so we can speak from humility <laughs> and really it's true. add value to Act 5, which is the new humanity. <laughs> See, this is why God is not like us. And the logic of love is something that people just don't understand. Because if I have a child, right, you know, and I ha- I'm in a position where I have to discipline my child. I'm disciplining my child and, you know, I'm telling them, I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to have to discipline you right now, however that looks. I know my niece and nephew go away. Uh, with their mother, my, my sister-in-law, when they're bad. I don't know what happens. Bad behavior. Yeah, when there's bad behavior. I don't know what happens. I don't know what goes on in that bathroom. I don't know what comes out of her purse. The right? stick, the But stick. I know that those children come back like way... They just come back with different children. They're amazing. It's like a new creation. It's like a new creation. But I, I think like when we discipline our own children, hmm. right, we... You know, we, we like to say, okay, this is what's happening because of what you did. Right. And if you don't want that to happen again, mm-hmm. don't do what you did. Mm-hmm. Don't run around the restaurant like a maniac. Mm-hmm. Don't kick over tables. Mm-hmm. Be respectful to your family, right? Um, and, you know, if you act a certain way, you won't get punished. Okay. But here's God. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if you caught that. You know, Noah makes the sacrifice, and it says the aroma is pleasing to God. He, mm-hmm. he kind of smells it. And I, I kind of imagine God, you know, reminding himself of what the whole point of this was in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, after committing to do, doing something like this. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you're not 
you don't get it. <laughs> you do not get it. Because he says, Never again will I doom the earth because of man, since the devising of man's mind are evil from his youth. You're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. You are going to fail. But I will never punish you in this way ever again. Yeah. Nat is the logic of love. Mm-hmm. And that's the way God decides to go into conflict. That's the way God decides to do battle with us. Mm. Right? For, for us. He, yeah. It's almost like he's going to battle for us, right. with us, at the same time. And, you know, some of these dark powers yeah. um, and the spiritual forces that are kind of like there but never necessarily zeroed in on like so we can like truly understand them. Love it. Yeah. So he chooses conflict. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm going to read this here. He chooses to go to battle against us and with us and for us. Mm-hmm. Genesis 11 ends with God deciding not to give up, but choosing to stay engaged with his creation. He chooses conflict. Mm-hmm. And as we have seen in earlier episodes, choosing to exist in the tension. I love that phrase, honey. Yep. It's, it's, it's. It's a, it's a game changer yeah. because even I know I've shared this with other people in archery transfer it's the step before releasing mm. and there's so much power in that which that's what I tell myself right now just stay in attention yeah. just stay in attention Act three, Israel, right? God goes from the entire world, right? And he zooms in onto what comes to be called the family of God, mm-hmm. right? He zooms in on one person, mm-hmm. one couple, mm-hmm. right? And from there, he's going to build his own nation, right? a nation that doesn't exist at this time. And from this nation, right, God is committing to bring the world back together, Of all the nations of the earth, God chooses to make a new people by calling out Abram and making from him a new nation. God commits to Israel through the descent into Egypt, to the foot of Mount Sinai, to the conquest of Canaan, through the establishment of the monarchy, to the divided kingdom, even into exile. So this is God's way of saying, okay, I began with trust. I began a vulnerability. I went Mm -hmm. first, Mm -hmm. right? I am choosing to fight for you. I'm choosing conflict Mm -hmm. and the logic of love, not the logic of man, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's, I'm going to be fighting basically against you for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a lot of ways, in 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 fundamental ways. And the third act, Israel, he's committing, okay, through this group, I am going to bring the world back together. And again, it goes terrible. (laughs) It doesn't go well, right? Mm -hmm. Israel never becomes a nation of priests. It never becomes a light to the Gentiles. It never fulfills even basic tenets of its law, as far as we know, in terms of Sabbath and the Sabbath year and the years of Jubilee, Mm -hmm. right? And in the end, they end up going into exile. There's the picture of God on his throne accompanying Israel into exile. He commits to Israel even though they will never live up 
to their end of the bargain. And at the end of the Hebrew Bible, at the end of the script of the Old Testament, God still hasn't returned. He he accompanies them to exile. They come back from exile, but God doesn't his presence doesn't seem to be with them. So at the end of Act Three, mm-hmm. we have Israel has returned from exile. Mm-hmm. They're in the promised land. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't feel like God has returned. There's a sense that there's something missing. Yeah. God has not returned. And when he does return, it's going to be the culmination of Israel's long, long story. Act four. Yeah. All right. Now we have, so act one, we had creation and, or trust. Mm-hmm. Act two, fall conflict. Act three, Israel or commitment. And act four, act four we have Jesus or accountability. Mm-hmm. Right? This might seem weird. What do you mean Jesus accountability? Makes sense. You know. I know uh you know no one likes the word accountability. It can feel like <laughs> ooh, what are you? It may be a trigger word for it some. It could of be us. a trigger word as we kind of talked about in one of our recent um, round tables. Round tables mm-hmm. and it, it's true. Great. Uh, Great insight with that. Mm-hmm. But you know our God is a God who when we can't be held accountable, when we can't fulfill what we were supposed to do, mm-hmm. he comes in and he does it. Yeah. And that's basically the story of Jesus. And like great word that came out of that round table is it's that responsibility. Accountability means um, keeping you accountable to your responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. After the return from exile, as we talked about before, something is wrong. God seems to be missing. His presence has not returned to the, the temple. God who left with them into exile does not seem to have returned. He accompanied them into exile, but he has not yet returned with them. The scriptures point to God's return and to the fulfillment of the story of Israel. And then Jesus enters the scene. Mm-hmm. And then you have the four gospels, the Evangelion, the good news of Jesus, right? And he completes Israel's story. God holds Israel accountable. Mm-hmm. By completing for it what it was powerless to do itself. Mm-hmm. There was always a sense in the scriptures that Israel may have needed to enter into the darkness mm-hmm. and have and ultimately succumb to the darkness, be overpowered by it. And, and through, you know, not resisting, through allowing itself to be overpowered, uh, it would somehow save the world. Mm-hmm. Evil, the force of darkness would be destroyed. Israel to go deep into the darkness, to allow it to overwhelm him, right? So Jesus allowed himself to be killed, mm-hmm. and he ultimately exhausted their, their power. He ultimately defeated them through his death. Jesus' resurrection is the end of the story, invading the present. It's like the end of the tale. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the ultimate resurrection, ultimate restoration of all things, invading that time, that place. And giving us a glimpse of how the story ends with the restoration of all things and the new heaven and the new earth. Or as N.T. Wright likes to say, the day the revolution began. So finally we come to the fifth act. Okay, The church is basically the result of the fulfillment of the previous four acts. So we have creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and then the church or the new humanity. This is the result of this long drama, is the creation of a new humanity out of the old. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. people who will worship God in spirit and in truth. The church is a natural and inevitable result of everything that has come before. Establishing trust and the vulnerability of God, the fall and utter catastrophe of death, his commitment to restore all things through Israel, and the ultimate fulfillment of Israel's purpose. Mm -hmm. So the church, in a sense, is the natural outflow of everything that came before. Yes. Right. You really can't understand the church mm-hmm. unless you understand the entire story. Yes. And one of the things that drives me crazy about modern Christi- Christianity in uh, America mm-hmm. and some of the works that come out that are, have become quite popular is this idea that Jesus, you know, came to make something new mm. or that he was doing away with the old covenant. He was making something new. He was creating Christianity. And that was that that's just not true. <laughs> it's actually really hard to get that out of the Bible when you actually have read the Bible. Really, Jesus was fulfilling Israel's purpose, and the result was, in a sense, a, a restored Israel, mm-hmm. a restored uh, nation of God, a restored kingdom of God. That the church was being, not the church, that the Gentiles, anyone who wasn't Jewish was being brought into. Mm-hmm. We were being brought into the family of God. Mm-hmm. You know? Invited to the banquet. Yeah. <laughs> if we ever end up visiting a synagogue, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can um, you can they might ask you, hey, why are you here? And you'd be like, ah, oh, we're just a child of Noah coming to visit. And they'll laugh, you know, and uh, they it could be a bonding experience. But if you come in and you say, Oh, we're just, you know, a child of Abraham just like you mm-hmm. that might make offense because no, 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 you're not. You're not. <laughs> you know, we're, we're children of Abraham. Yeah. You are not. You're a Gentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus, through his ultimate victory, was bringing the Gentiles in to God's family. We're, in a sense, adopted sons of Abraham, mm-hmm. you know, ingrafted branches. We're the wild shoot, uh, the wild branch that's being grafted into a cultivated olive tree. As, family. Yeah, as Paul mm-hmm. put it in one of his letters. The church is a natural outflow of everything that came before. The new humanity then becomes inevitable. And the church and the return of Jesus cannot be stopped. It's like we're being put on a trajectory. Mm-hmm. that The first domino already. The first domino started. has already been tipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are natural and inevitable from everything that has come before. Right? So nothing happens in a vacuum. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, or trust, conflict, commitment, accountability has kind of produced these results mm-hmm. that are still still happening. Mm-hmm. The word that you keep using is... Inevitable? Yeah. Yes. The way I see it is the fruit. Mm-hmm. And I know that so many times we try to just focus on the fruit and fruit and this the result result instead of looking at that root and the yeah. foundation and that's how we started this uh, new season with the foundation of trust you can't eat a fruit that's coming out of your lamp <laughs> right a fruit's coming out of a tree and the tree is being rooted it's it's rooted yeah. from soil from the root from the foundation when is the uh, best time to plant a tree? 
don't know. Ten years ago. <laughs> exactly. When's the sec <laughs> when's the second best time? Ten years ago. Today. Mm, kind of having nice. that that uh, view in life mm. that you know we want these results yes. we want these fruits yes. you just can't have them because you want them right and i think a lot of times in christianity we we want righteousness yeah. we want holiness we we want to be close to god yeah and we we just want it and we think we can just get it yeah. by just getting it and just doing it yeah right and it's empty mm-hmm. and it's devoid of meaning and it's crippling to people's souls because you need to build, you need to plant. Right, and it takes over, it's over time. It takes a long trust. time. Mm-hmm. The church came about from basically the history of everything. Yeah. You know, this is like the culmination of God's plan since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just because God wanted it, you know, because again, if God just wanted it, he made us do it. That would just us being coerced. Yeah. Or robots. Or robots. Yeah. If God decided to come <laughs> Which back. a lot of people tend to look at Christians this way. Well, yeah. at least I know I did. Yeah. I always think too, and this might be a little bit off the deep end, but if God wanted slaves, mm-hmm. he could easily have them. Yeah. He's God. Yeah. He could come and demand obedience and nobody yeah. would be able to resist him. Yeah. But God wants love. Yeah. God wants a real relationship. Yeah, and that's that's the best way. Like when you were talking about the analogy of just having children, you gotta do your best to guide your children back to God, back for them to tr- equip them to going back to getting to know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, learning scriptures okay, but what does that mean, right? But just getting rooted, getting really grounded on who God is in that relationship that you're building with your children and then you gotta let go then you gotta let them choose the way God allows us to choose every single day I know for me it's like I keep falling short again oh I was just disrespectful again you know and having that grace the new morning and the the new sunrise for me to step up in a different way to continue to become this caterpillar into a butterfly and it's it's beautiful it's a be- grace is given to you not about what i'm doing but it's just a gift you know mm-hmm. grace is a gift yeah and i yeah, I'm just very encouraged about um, connecting this. So I'm really, I'm really grateful um, for just God, in, God putting us through these books and you putting together the path and the pattern. And it's been, it's been a great journey. I know this, this was a long, this is a three part series. Um, but what does this all mean, Jimmy? So this is what I think it means. Okay, I think. We have the uh, the golden discs from God view of the Bible, <laughs> whether we like to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. I think we like to think that, you know, like God sent us an Amazon package <laughs> and we opened it up and there we have an instruction manual mm. for everything that we're supposed to do and be and think. Mm. And I think we could run into a lot of problems, mm. right? 
Uh, let's take Paul, for instance. I used to have huge problems with you Paul. You did. I've did. seen you in your transition. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there with my transition. It took a lot of study. It took a lot of meditation. Um, you know, because I think the tradition that we've come from, mm-hmm. the letters of Paul are basically the majority of what's preached. Yes. Any given Sunday. Yes. Uh, you know I love to do stuff like this. I feel like it really annoys people when I do it. But, you know, I even started just like writing down like the scriptures and verses that were coming uh, from our tradition every given Sunday, especially being in this time of quarantine. Mm. It's much easier because there's only like two messages to go listen to. Versus, well, you were listening to a couple. Yeah. <laughs> on and, the same Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you look at it and then you like you say, okay, what is the percentage of what's being preached and where is it coming from? Yeah. It's majority coming from yes. Paul's letters. Not yes. even Peter. There are other letters that we can go into. Right. Not the book of Revelation. Yeah. Not Peter. Not Jude. Paul. Yeah, Paul. Right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> not even the Gospels. Even though, like, you know... They're we, silent. Some of the Gospels are... The volume has put down. And we tend to use the Gospels as moral tales. Mm. And that's not the point of the Gospels. The Gospels were here to tell the good news of Jesus... Mm-hmm. of the coming of the kingdom the coming of the king mm-hmm. right as in that book uh, how god became how king. god became mm-hmm. king king surprisingly by nt Wright. <laughs> uh, i think there's a little pattern here of one of our favorite authors at the time um so i think we look at the new testament the majority of it and we fail to understand that paul's letters are us now here in a position of we need to write this fifth act Mm-hmm. We need to write our own results of all this that's come before us. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for us? Does it mean that we need to do everything that Paul did, everything that Paul says? I don't know. But I know it's probably impossible, and I've never met a church that's done it. Or a human. You know? <laughs> and I think our tradition in particular would turn around and say, no, 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 we do all this. Mm-hmm. But then when you really look at it, we mm-hmm. don't. No. We don't baptize people for the dead. We don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't go to church with a head covering Mm -hmm. because of something lusting after you or Mm -hmm. something like that. When when we leave communion, we don't kiss each other. Mm -hmm. We don't greet each other with a holy kiss. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, there's this cherry picking going on Mm -hmm. that's kind of fitting some type of worldview. And I'm not saying that that worldview is necessarily bad Mm -hmm. or that it needs to just be thrown out. Although sometimes I do feel like the whole thing needs to be burned to the ground. Um, and then you pray and meditate again. And then I pray. <laughs> you got to pray just to make it today. You got to pray. You got to. <laughs> okay. Honey. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I think we missed the point. Mm-hmm. I think what we should be seeing there is a group of very highly educated Jews mm-hmm. steeped yes. in what we've come to call the Old Testament, their scriptures. Yes. Right. And it, it always bothered me that Paul never sat down. And wrote out his theology. Doesn't that bother you a little bit? All we have is letters. We don't have like volumes of books. Like from Augustine. Right? The City mm-hmm. of God. And all his commentaries. We don't have things like John Calvin wrote. We don't have things like Martin Luther wrote. We don't have, we don't have anything. Mm-hmm. But these letters that somehow survive. We don't even have all of them. We don't even have all the conversation. Right. And that used to really bother me. Mm-hmm. I've come to realize, or I've come to accept, accept mm-hmm. that the most likely explanation for that 
is because Paul was like, it's already been written, dude. <laughs> it's it's right here. I'm getting all this stuff from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The church was never meant to stand on its own mm-hmm. with just Paul's letters. Yes. They were meant to... I think we were meant to see Paul mm-hmm. as a brilliant Hebrew scholar and see the way he was interpreting the Old Testament. And he was basically grafting in the Gentiles into the story of Israel. Mm-hmm. So we see in the first century church a little bit of how uh, the disciples of that time faced the problem of how are we going to apply the story of Israel the story of Jesus Mm -hmm. to the entire world. Mm -hmm. And I think when we go in and we look at the New Testament as a rule book, Mm -hmm. we miss the entire point. Yeah. And I think about all our brothers and sisters who are Jewish Mm -hmm. and how this truly is not, Christianity is not this new religion. It's it's a story. We're getting to the end of the story with Jesus and now we get to push the story forward and it's something we've been talking about from like even the pov the point of view and in the jesus's box and moving the story forward so that's the first thing that i think we need to get from all this Mm -hmm. is that listen we need to read our bibles differently Mm -hmm. we need to understand the entire bible Before we try and do anything. Mm -hmm. And I know that's going to drive people crazy. And I know people are going to disagree with me. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. But this is what it is. We are going to continue to miss the point. We are going to continue to split into church after church over no. The Bible says this. Not this. Because we're failing to understand the entire story. That's number one. Yeah. We need to we need to get better at reading our Bibles. Mm-hmm. As the people of God, as the church, as the light set on a hill, we need to get better at reading and understanding our place in the story. Mm-hmm. That's just number one. Number two is who do we think we are that we can go in and we can build in a way that God hasn't built before us? Who are we to think that we can just go in and get the fruits of Christianity without doing the hard work. Mm -hmm. So if you're a leader, if you're a Bible talk leader, a region leader, a ministry leader, just average Joe Christian, right? Just trying to figure all this stuff out. You cannot do this without building the way God has built from the beginning. And that takes trust. And time. (laughs) That takes takes creation. That Mm -hmm. takes deciding to do something new. To mm-hmm. be vulnerable, mm-hmm. trust. It takes conflict. Mm-hmm. It takes conflict of the logic and the language of love. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to beat you over the head right. until you get this right. Mm-hmm. But a love that's like, you know what? You're not going to get this right. And I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Yeah. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit right, to healthy conflict, to walking this with you. You know? And, you know, accountability, Jesus, right? Just really understanding that, you know, to be the servant leader mm-hmm. who doesn't, like, expect people just to do things. Yeah. But who says, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to humble myself, mm-hmm. you know. And then I think results are inevitable, just like the church was inevitable. Mm-hmm. And here we are in the fifth act. Mm-hmm. 
And all I see when I look around at denominational Christianity is people beating each other over the head with their Bibles saying, no, the Bible says this, or going back to their people and trying to make them do things, make them follow these rules without understanding how we're all supposed to fit into the entire story. Number one, let's learn to read our Bibles better. Mm -hmm. Number two, let's build our groups Mm -hmm. the way God built his group, Mm -hmm. the way God produced us, and let's move the story forward. And that wraps up the path and the pattern part three. As most of you know, we're taking the last Friday of every month to host roundtables live on Facebook. Please head over to Facebook at White Superstars, click on events, and register if you want to be part of the conversation. We would love to chat about the path and the pattern uh, after you listen to part one, two, and three to digest and to really see how we could move the story forward.